Hello, and welcome back to the What The Fork podcast in association with Viper Goalkeeping. Today's guest is a man who has formed one of the most formidable partnerships in the Scottish Premiership over the last few seasons, and a player that has in total amassed over 360 league appearances in his career so far. Welcome to the show, Mr Hartley. How are you doing? Are you all right? I am not bad, mate. Not bad. Thanks for having me. It's all right. Had 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 to nag you for a full week to get you on, and eventually got you <laughs> no, on. No, you did one message, mate. I'm not that guy. Come on. <laughs> nah, you were pretty sound, mate. Fair, fair enough. Um, I'll give you that. I mean, first things first. Obviously, I think as everyone knows, you've recently left Motherwell. Like as one of my uh, followers said, it's still a little bit too raw. So forgive me if I'm touching any nerves here. But how are you feeling about it? What's the next steps? Um, don't know what the next steps are yet to be totally honest it's still still early but yeah it's obviously a bit of pill to swallow but it's the nature of the beast like I've said in the past I had a lot of conversations with the manager and stuff and um, it was just the right time for both parties really and uh, I'm just happy I've played my part and captained the club um, led by example in all avenues really and uh, finished third in the league so it was, a, it was a nice way to go but ideally in a in a Perfect world, so to speak. I'd like to have a proper send off and seeing the fans and, and said goodbyes face to face with people because I made a lot of good friends up there, and obviously it's difficult when when you don't get to see them. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think probably a lot of that goes across the board with the season finishing in March. You think oh, I've got two months to kind of really like have a good end of the season and kind of say bye to the fans when I can and have the. I mean, you finished third. Obviously, getting into Europe, you, you're going to have a nice celebration on the pitch and all that, and it's kind of. For want of a better word, it's a sickener, isn't it? When you kind of get that at the end, let's be honest. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a def, def, deflated feeling because you don't get, albeit you've achieved something, you don't get to celebrate it. I mean, you're sitting, everyone's sat in their own houses individually on lockdown and it's like, well, yeah, you, you, you feel a sense of um, achievement inside, but obviously you do it as a collective. You, you achieve that as a team, as a club and... There's a lot of people you want to celebrate with who you don't get the opportunity to celebrate with. So um, the achievement was great, but obviously the the celebrations are being put on hold. <laughs> how was the? Uh, how did you celebrate? Because the day that you actually got announced, literally ten minutes before, I interviewed Dex, so I didn't actually find out how you celebrated it. Did you all just have like a few pints on Zoom or something like that? No, I didn't. I didn't. Obviously, it was a great achievement, but I, I sort of knew then that I wouldn't be playing in Europe. So <laughs> it was a difficult one for me, yeah. I'm not going to lie. But um, I celebrated. Obviously, boys in the group chat all all buzzing and, and things. And, uh, you know, the I spoke to a manager and Keith Wesley uh, over a, a WhatsApp call and things like that. But, uh, yeah, we, we celebrated. I didn't. I certainly didn't have a drink. I mean, I've had a lot of drinks, but I didn't have a drink then because I knew... I had to plan things moving forward. So, um, yeah, we celebrated in the group, but not. We, we need a proper proper celebration, which I'm sure we'll have. Because I'll be going back up the road in, uh, next weekend anyway. So, um, hopefully, I'll, I'll bump into a few of the boys. Talking about Keith Lasley, have you ever seen a, a better looking man in his kind of late 30s, early 40s? Because he's, I don't want to say it to him, but he's pretty gorgeous, isn't he? <laughs> he's got a bit, and he has, yeah. Uh, the women love him up there, mate. You've got to be careful. Hey, you haven't got a chance if you stood next to him. I just keep my arms length because uh, <laughs> uh, I'll make him look even better if I was stood next to him. I'll tell you that much. It's those blue eyes, isn't it? It's those blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, first things first as well. You know, you you have left as well, and you've had a really successful time in in Scotland. You've obviously really enjoyed it, which we've talked about a little bit off air. Um, I guess sometimes you don't have, or not everyone, especially at this 
time at the moment has the luxury of choosing where they go next. But would you like to stay in Scotland, do you think? Or are you kind of open to maybe come to somewhere like, I don't know, Sunderland or something like that? <laughs> Mate, I walk up the A19 now. We've had this conversation. Sunderland's a 20. It's about a three and a half hour walk up that A19 for me and I'll be happy to do it. But um, if it was easy that, like, like you said there, if it was easy as picking where your next, um, your next club was going to be, then it would be great. But, you know, not many footballers get that get that uh, luxury so um, I've had a great time at Motherwell ideally I love the SPL I love I love the the way the league is and tight real football up there you know it's it's intense it's it's fast paced I enjoy it um, every game's a battle every game's completely different uh, you learn something new every game so it's something I want to be part of but um, time will tell I'll, I'll be totally honest yeah. I've got nothing at the minute zero so um, it's not a great time to be out of work um, no. because usually in in, a, in normal circumstances this time of year you've either signed a pre-contract or you're making a decision on the next move but at the moment I'm not even at that stage so um, I just wait and see what happens but I've got a base up there I've got a, I've got a place up there which I, I am that's the reason why I'm going back up the road to sort a few things out with that so we'll see we'll see what the next couple of weeks um, unfold and if things materialise and hopefully I'll be back in the SPFL if not then Sunland. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone's listening, you know, we seem to like free transfers at the minute, so so you're available on a free. Why not? Um, I'm good at cleaning boots as well. So, <laughs> so I've been told, mate. So I've been told. Um, who, actually, there's a question. Whose boots did you clean at Sunland when you were coming through the academy? Uh, well, I've, I've been through a few of the players, but I've done... Um, when I was a first-year scholar, was the Mick McCarthy promotion era. Mm-hmm. So I think that was 2005, six. That was Gary Breen. I used to do Gary Breen's boots. And um, and I moved on to Nugsies, now on Nosworthy. Oh, what am I? Um, further down the line, I think I'd done big, big Stan Vargas and Johnny Evans. It was a bit weird because Johnny Evans was obviously my age. Yeah. Um, but he was on loan for Man United and he was a different level, like, Obviously, attributes were fantastic at the time. Fantastic. Being 19 year old and being able to do the things he could do was unheard of. But I washed these boots anyway. So he's <laughs> 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 the same age as me. I was washing these boots. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that being a bit of a strange one. Yeah. But he was good, to be fair to him. And he still is. Yeah. Come he's to think of it. He was a great lad at the time. Obviously, being, being the same age, you're on the same wavelength with things. So, uh, and it helped. Obviously, I come through the ranks with Trevor Carson and they both knew each other from Northern Ireland. So mm. it helped, obviously. I've known him quite well. He was always in the round with those guys, you know. So he yeah. was a good guy, Johnny. Talking about, obviously, I probably jumped a little bit too far ahead here, but obviously you came through um, the academy at Sunland. I think you joined in 2000. Um, yeah. I think I kind of remember this, but I know that sometimes with sort of youth systems and youth teams, some of the years jump around. So I'm thinking of the people at the same sort of age as you. And I thought Trevor Carson was one, but... If I remember rightly, you got a, like uh, a cup final. I can't quite remember who it was against, but it was it was a hell of an academy team, wasn't it? Oh, without a doubt. I think um, the cup final you're on about. If I'm thinking about the same one, it was a it was the Durham County Cup one at the Stadium of Light. I think we played Gateshead at the time. Yeah, um, was a couple, I that think. team was looking back. That team we put out. I'd actually just come back from a loan because um, I was two year older than the boys like Jordan Henderson and Waggy and stuff. So I've been on loan at Chesterfield and I come back, um, played in that game and looking back now, seeing the players in that team at Sunderland uh, 20s and reserve team was was another level. Like you've got Waggy, Jordan Henderson, David Myler, Robbie Weir, Jordan Cook, obviously made, yeah. had a really good career. Um, 
Michael Kerr, Michael Liddell, Trevor Carson. Um, God, I could go on forever. Those boy, Irish boy, Billy Dennehy as well. Yeah. God, loads. John Yeeves and Votto, I don't know if you remember him. We signed him from Paris I do. Went to Wraith Rovers, I believe. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he had a spell. He had a spell in Scotland, didn't he? But he, John had a decent career. I'm not sure what he's doing now, but we had some unbelievable players. Like Jamie Chandler, he played England in the 20s, 19s, 21s. He's a great lad, great footballer. Yeah. Um, and obviously we all went all on paths. And it's very rare you see a team, especially a reserve team, where it was a lot. It was a young reserve team, and we didn't really drop any first team players into that team because we were doing so well ourselves. Where usually you bring players down and stuff. Um, looking back, the amount of players that went and made a living and a career for themselves out yeah. of that team, unbelievable. To credit to to the coaches we had as well because. I remember, I remember when I when I done my first year scholarship at Sunderland. I was like Bambi on ice, man. <laughs> the ball was like a hot potato. I just felt like I was out, of de- like completely out of depth with with, with the, the standard of players around me. But then when things changed and and Roy King came and he brought his staff in and and the the principles I got implemented for the young boys and that he just picked it up so quick. And uh, Neil Bailey was fantastic with those guys. Like we used to do sessions where we weren't allowed to speak in training. So you went out shout for the ball everything out of the awareness you had to know where people were on your team um, it was they used to just do loads of crazy little sessions like that. Was, looking back at the time it was genius yeah <clears throat> really 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 clever and I think you know you looked at the, the team and stuff like that and that, you know what the standard name is Henderson don't get me wrong but then yeah. you've also got Waggy is also another one you would look at but you're writing what you say now once years ago now 2017 wrote a piece on what had happened to that team I think that got I think it was that cup final and when you look through the team, I think there was only two players that weren't still playing. I think it was Jake Richardson and I think Michael Cade oh, wow. retired. But like hmm. the rest of the the rest of the team, I think as I wrote it at the time, you would have been at Bristol Rovers, I think. Um, yeah. But looking through the team and stuff like that, you had like Hendo was just about a captain Liverpool, but you had like Waggy, you had Chandler, like every one of them made a living out of the game pretty much. Like I would say ninety five percent and still are as well, yeah. like three years on. Really? It's crazy. It's weird because um, well, when I when I left Motherwell about ten ten days two weeks ago, one of the first people to text me was Neil Burley, my my coach at Sunderland. He was just yeah. basically um, he's just seeing what happens. Hope I'm well. If I need anything, like I, I, you know where I am, type of thing. I was just like, I said, my missus, missus, like it's amazing that usually usually a lot of people text you when when you're riding the crest of a wave and things are going well. Aye. but very rarely do you get messages off people when you've been released or you've left a football club or you might be in need of help and he was one of the first people to text me and he never texts me when I do well so it just goes to show the, the value of the man do you know what I mean he's, he's always there for you, do you know, when, when you do need people like that did he come from he came from United wasn't he Neil he came from United yeah then I think he left Sunderland to go and work for the uh, for the FA and I think he's still with the FA because when I signed for Blackpool he was coming along with a few of our, our training sessions with Gary Boyer mm-hmm. and I was speaking to him then and I was talking about doing a B licence um, and he just basically said yeah he was doing the Northwest for the FA with uh, with the coaching and things like that Feels like um, and there's a few people I've had on the show who's came through like Manchester United's um, academies and stuff like that I think a lot of them pointed towards Harrison, but it's funny across the board. And I mean, from Sir Alex downwards to the coaches that were involved with that sort of time frame, they all seem to have a similar mindset where it's like they set you up to be this like really well-molded man and player. 
but they continuously keep in touch. Like I think we had Danny Higginbotham on and he was saying how he bumped into Sir Alex on a train after he'd retired when he was at like Chester or something like that. Hadn't spoken to him in a few years. Came past and he was like, oh, how are you doing, Gaffer? And he basically said, yeah, I'm all right. Um, and he said, I walked away and thought, I don't want to disturb him. And he said, what are you doing? Come sit down with me. And he said, we had like a two-hour chat where he remembered everything, asked how my dad was, asked how my mum was. So it feels like, and no, not taking anything away from, from Sunderland, because obviously that happened at Sunderland, but I think that was probably one of the reasons why the Roy Keane era was so good, wasn't it? He brought that kind of Manchester United mentality of making people feel valued, but also having standards. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. We like, the, the things we used to do with Neil Burley, like... It was so professional. You felt like you played for a first team, the way the way you got tret, um, the standards you had to live up to. Um, it was football 24-7, but it wasn't just what you'd done on the pitch wasn't the only thing that mattered. He did. You hit the nail on the head when you said about making you a better person, things like I he, he installed values into you of how to, how to go about things in the right way and the correct way. And, and uh, we used to, I remember he took us all to the cinema at um, Bolden um, to watch... The, the Brian Clough movie when it came out. Yeah. Um, I think, is it that? Damned United. I, he took us to watch on a Friday night and the full team, the full Resi team made sure everyone was there. Um, and just things like that, like, I, w- I don't think I'd have ever went to watch that movie with my friends, I'm not going to lie, but when I'd watch it, I was delighted I'd seen it because uh, he was a living legend. I, I didn't even know, but he, used to, he, was, he managed Hartlepool and I didn't even know that. So it was obviously before my time. So, yeah, it was just great the, the way and like you said they've obviously brought that if you can call it a winner mentality I probably would because we won the championship and we were bottom of the championship when he walked through the door so um, he brought a winner mentality with him and and uh, he just lifted the club from three or four levels within a, within such a short space of time and the quality of players he brought in as well the players he could attract was was phenomenal like yeah, the name just brought people in, didn't it? I mean, even if you're looking back, I know he was the, the wrong side of 30, shall we say, but Dwight York? There's no way he's leaving He's leaving Australia to come and play for any other person but Roy Keane. Not a chance. And he was phenomenal. York, he was different levels. Like. Incredible. He was a midfielder at the time, but his composure on the Great. ball was was fantastic. Great in midfield. And you know what, as well? I've seen him every day. I've never seen anyone work so hard. Like York, he'd be in the, he'd have a game on a Saturday and he'd be in the pool swimming Friday afternoon, yeah. doing length. He'd be in the gym doing weights, and he's got a game the next day. Like it was installed in you as a youngster. Like do as little as you can on a Friday to save your energy for a Saturday. But then working with these guys who were top of the championship by a lot of points and winning game in game out, it was relentless. The boys don't don't go easy on a Friday because of the game on a Saturday. Like they go harder. It was and the tempo on training was. I've never seen the tempo like I'm not going to lie. Talking about the, the place you came to, just to go back ever so slightly, said before we talked about Henderson's like the standout name, but if I remember rightly, Hendo was good and it was all about his work rate and stuff like that, but he was no one thought he was going to be the Jordan Henderson he was today. The one that everyone would point to if you could pick an individual was Nathan Luscombe. Uh, no, do you know what? We've left someone out as well. Jack Colback, what a player. No I know comments. it's soft for you, it's soft, <laughs> Jordy, but Jackie was, Nathan was big, Nathan was very big, but uh, Jack, Jack Colbert, was highly rated. Boys was the one, he was like the next Paul Scholes, like Ginger, obviously, unbelievable on the ball, yeah. never gave the ball away, always played forward, good with both feet, predominantly left-footed, but, um, but Natty, Nathan Luscombe, just had that flair, had something, he was fearless, it was like he was playing in the park with his mates, Um and he actually signed for Hartlepool with me a couple of years later. 
Apparently, he was an absolute nutter as well, in the most wonderful way. You got any funny stories about Nathan Lusk? Oh, he was just funny. Like he just—he's just a funny guy. I remember Hartlepool. Obviously, he signed his contract to Hartlepool, and then he gone now. <laughs> by all accounts, had a great summer with his mates, and he come back massive, absolutely massive. So our our, our gaff at the time, Mick Wadsworth, he was like, "Nath, I can't, I can't put you on the park looking like that, mate. Like you, you obviously you're too big." So we we <laughs> he didn't have a clue. Bless him, like if someone had got hold of him, which I was still learning at the time, so I wasn't probably the right person to get hold of him. But if someone had got hold of him and showed him what to do off the pitch, how to live your life off the pitch with regards to what to eat, because he's always had these problems, Nerf. But when you're young, you can get away with it. Now he's getting into his 23, 24, 25 type of age. And he just sit on a dinner time eating celery and I'm thinking, man. I- that's not going to help. Like you, you need to seriously sit down with someone. I just don't think he, I think football beat him before he got the opportunity to obviously Aye. sort himself out. So, um, Nath ended up, he, he definitely didn't have the career he should have had, but <clears throat> yeah, it's through, through lack of education, my opinion, not lack of ability. Do you think that's where sort of, um, and it, it's no disrespect to Nathan Luskin because I don't know him, so it'd be wrong for me to make the opinion. But obviously, I've heard that you know that sort of situation with with Nathan a few times. And on the flip side, you hear the complete opposite of Jordan Henderson that like he was like from day dot he was like, "Don't drink, eat well, train well." Do you think that's kind of almost evidence of if you get the right person to hold of you, they have the right you have the right attitude. You might not be the best player in the team at the time, but you can become one to be like a Champions League winner and captain of you know the Premier League elect. Do you think? Without a doubt, you've seen you've seen it with Jordan, especially from like the age of I'd say 17, 17 to twenty. No, seventeen mm. to nineteen for me because I left when when he broke into Sunderland first team properly. I'd obviously moved, but I seen from seventeen to nineteen with Endor, like he had the a sickening. Really, really sick in a wide race to a point where, like, how oh, is this guy doing this? It's it's different levels. So I I didn't see it because I used to take my days off. Cause but he used to literally come in on his days off, do parachute running. He was relentless with everything, and and he obviously had good. Really, I'm not saying we all haven't had good parents, but his his mum and dad and the way he's been brought up and his morals have, have clicked. Yeah, um, got parents with good habits and stuff, and it's been installed in him and. He just hit the ground running and literally took off like a rocket. Uh, it's ever since he come back from his loan at Coventry when he went to Coventry and he played in the championship under Chris Coleman. He was brilliant, like yeah. eating rope, and he was he's literally set the championship on fire. He was fantastic, and I believe Coventry bid for him as well. But Roy Keane said he was going nowhere, and that was it, straight into the first team. Yeah, I mean, it's phenomenal looking back to where he's been. I remember. When he first went, and I went, oh, he'd be worth fifty million in a few years' time. Not a few friends that disagreed, and probably at the time it was probably a bit of a a, a, a mad statement saying fifty million. But if you look at it now, I don't think you could get him for a hundred. He's he's literally no, that well, good. It, like he did just look like uh, to the untrained eye as a fan watching. You'd think he was just full of energy, young kid, Jerusalem bunny, didn't stop running. But his picture and his um, his his mental aspects of of how mentally strong he was first and foremost like he feared no one didn't care if he was in front of 50,000 in front of 500 he didn't care that's the way he was but he's he's his mental pictures on the pitch and and he knew exactly what to do like he, he was pick he was a fast learner 
where it'd take us maybe two or three months to, within a week, it was there for him. Bang, bang, little one-twos, folly a ball down the line, go the other side. Like, little things he'd pick up really quickly and you'd just see him practice and him in training and then it was second nature. It was muscle memory. Yeah. And, uh, he just took off like a rocket. Yeah, still going as well, isn't he? Jesus. Um, well, um, he's getting better and better. It's ridiculous how good he is. Because even when he went to Liverpool, he was getting question marks and then he got given the captaincy, more question marks. But you've got to understand, like, he's never going to be, a, he's a complete different type of player, Steven Gerrard. But he's he's the cog in that engine that makes it tick. You see how much you'll miss him when he's not there? Do you know what huge. I mean? He's Absolutely a phenomenal huge. player. I think they lost, what, they lost him for two games this season and what was it? They lost like two in four or something like that. And two teams right, they playing. lost the first uh, Premier League game without him, the Wofford game. That's right. Phenomenal player and it's just like, it's, it's. I mean, I remember watching him at the Stadium Light and like on the 17s games and stuff like that and he was a right winger and like you say, it was the untrained eye. It was, ah, Duracell bunny eyes. He's running about a lot but he's, uh, yeah, it's one of those things that I suppose you have to touch on but I think it does show and again, I feel quite bad here, like hammering Nathan Luscombe as a man I don't know. But I suppose in a way, it's like if you look at the difference between them, someone had like a lot of work ethic, they had the right people around them and stuff like that, and the right person to grab hold of them. And yet Luscombe was much more highly rated. Bag, bags of skills, bags of talent, allegedly. And yet once winning the Champions League and won at the moment, I'm, I'm not quite sure where he is, um, which is a bit of a shame, really. But it does, it does go to show... Yeah, it yeah. Was a player, but the difference in the two is Jordan's dream was to play for Sunderland, and obviously he didn't let anything stand in the way. Whether it was a night out, he used to come on nights out with us. Yeah. He used to be there all the time. He, he never used to not do anything. He just knew what the right thing. He'd stay till twelve. He'd get himself off, wouldn't drink. Natty would be there till six in the morning, having the time of his life with his top off. <laughs> that was different. <laughs> It was a, a good story I heard about Nathan Luscombe and it was told by Bowley, funnily enough. Um, he used to put, was it, he used to put um, like deep heat in the players' underpants? Uh, he, he, him, and, him and Jamie Chandler were the worst. Like, you, you couldn't leave any kit around in dressing room. <laughs> especially Chandler. Chandler's, he, gets, he got away with murder, but he was the worst. He'd be doing constantly from walking through the door at half eight on the morning to leaving at three or four in the afternoon, Chandler was just pranking constantly, tying your boots together, deep eating your shin pads. So if you've got a game, you put your shin pads on. Obviously, you're already sweating because you've done a warm-up. You put your pads on. Then when you pulled your socks up, fasten them on in the middle of the game, your shins are burning. Like, actually burning with deep eating. You're like, fuck <laughs> what can you do? It was all, like, looking back, it was brilliant. Having different... We just, we just enjoyed each other's company. Like, we worked really hard. We, we were literally because back then as well it's changed a lot now but the mentality of a professional footballer was done by one in the afternoon get yourself off that's yeah. it but when Neil Bailey came in there was no such thing like the first team might be done at half one but we're here because we need to get into the first team so we were there three or four five on the afternoon swimming sessions extra football sessions technical weights mental strength every single box got ticked for us guys and it, it stood us in good stead and like you said that's why so many of the team went on to play hundreds, hundreds of games, hundreds of league games. You know, no one can take the games away from you. Yeah. Um, the money comes and goes, but no one can take them games away from you. Talk about one particular game, because obviously I know the majority of your actual playing careers, I suppose, been away from Sunderland. But you did play sort of one game. 
for something which was a cracking day. I was actually there. Great day. Uh, uh-huh. Leicester away, New Year's Day. You came on with sort of six minutes to go. What was Roy Keane like with you sort of before the game? Because obviously he'll probably remember, and most managers remember their first game if they've been previous players. But what was he like with you? Um, so rolling back to probably New Year's Eve, <clears throat> um, there was one spot on the bench and he took three youngsters. There was me, Jake Richardson and Billy Dennehy. Um, and then on the, I remember being New Year's Eve, we were up late, we were talking, buzzing in the room, obviously. I've I've travelled I've travelled a lot that year with the first team, but never really got on the bench. I was yeah. always 18th man or whatever. Um, and I was like, there's one spot, it's going to be one of us. Like, And we never found out that night. He obviously, uh, we were having our pre-match the next day in the hotel before we left and he, he named the bench and obviously it was me. Uh, he didn't say much to me, nothing at all. Um, just just expected me to, to get on with the type of thing, which I did. Uh, never expected to get on. Got told to warm up on about 60 minutes in. I'm like, this is banter. Like, <laughs> I've never seen the Sunderland fans. Obviously, it was a new it was a new Leicester City Stadium as well. We'd moved from yep. Filbert Street or Walker Stadium at the time it was called. Um, I think it's a King Power now, isn't it? King Power, but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, what got to warm up, and then I've sat down and and uh, I seen him whispering to Tony Laughlin, and he's turned around. He said, "Pete, get, get get your shirt on, get ready, you're going on." And I was like, "What?" So and then Tony come up and said, "Obviously, you're coming on left back. You're going to come on for uh, Ross Wallace and Tobias Heisen's going to go left wing type of thing." So yeah. I was like, "Yeah, yes, on." Then it was all a play after that. I just remember playing against Danny Kadamari. He was playing right wing for Leicester. And then after a game, Gaffer pulled me after a game and he just said, listen, you've got another 300 games in them legs. He said, um, he said, make sure you, this isn't the, this isn't the end of a fear. Just keep working hard and keep doing what you're doing. And that, that feeling there, literally I was on cloud nine for the next two or three months with someone that was yeah. ridiculous. And then, and then I got dragged out back down to earth with a, with a bad, um, bad hip injury. So obviously that, that was what, I couldn't do anything about that. It was yeah. just genetic. <laughs> that kind of curtailed things a bit I think didn't it because obviously oh, it, did. it was the one appearance but like you're all right in what you're saying like that did kind of happen where you had like been in the squad a fair, a fair bit but that was like the one game once you get on and because yeah. you played in the in the team for two years after that but I mean I think as it was with Sunderland we kept uh, not splashing big money but we were spending like the nine millions on Craig Gordon here and here and there well, that's and, what it was obviously I got my chance on New Year's Day there and whether in my opinion, I, I didn't fully believe that, right, this is my chance, so I'm staying in this team. I'm like, wow, I'm getting a moment. Enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But looking back, the gaffer would never give a chance to anyone if he didn't believe they could play in the team because that's oh, just the mentality he had. Um, so if I'd have believed a bit more as well, I'd have probably pushed to make that appearance two, then three, then four, then five. But um, obviously... Having happened what happened and us getting promoted at the end of the season was probably one of the worst things that could have happened to me um, because he went and paid nine million for Anton Ferdinand. So um, <laughs> I ended up going out alone when I'd done my rehabilitation and that's when I went to Chesterfield. And then I think it comes across like with everything that you were released, but I think you actually turned the contract down, didn't you? And you wanted to go elsewhere and play games. Well, what it was, um, Ricky Sprazier was caretaker manager at the time, and like like we've reiterated there, we had an unbelievable reserve team. Like, what a lot of team, a lot of people say this, but I can't explain how good it was. Yeah, the football we were playing was levels above what anyone in the country was playing. It was phenomenal, and Ricky Sprazier was like, "Lads, I can't. I'm I'm not going to be here next season." He said, "A new manager's coming in." He said, "All I can do is offer you one year contracts because." 
the new manager might come and might like it, might not like it. He said, I can give you a three or four year, then whatever. Um, so we give obviously offered everyone else the same contract. And if if it was any other club, I would have stayed at Sunderland, but Hartlepool offered me a contract and an opportunity to come play for my hometown club. So it was a tough decision to make and I ended up speaking to Ricky and Ricky went, listen, I was a centre-half. When I was your age, I had, an I had an opportunity like this to go and play and make a career for myself. He said, just go and do it. He said, you might end back up here, back there, uh, back up here one day. He said, if you stay here and you don't get them football, I was 20, 21 at the time, you don't get them league games under your belt and the experience, he said, you might, walk, you might fall by the wayside. He said, you've got to, you've got to take opportunities when they come um, and then you work back to get to this level. So... I ended up signing for Hartlepool and then Steve Bruce came in as, as Sunderland manager and gave everybody the chance. <laughs> uh, I think he put Myler in, he put Jack in, he put Jordan in. Um, yeah. I think there was a few more. Jordan Cook had played a few times under him as well, I believe. Yeah. And then obviously Cookie went on to, to play for Carlisle and Charlton. Um, but yeah, he, he literally gave the majority of that. that, that I'm not saying I would have got me chance if I was still there, but you, you do look back and think, God, them boys played in the Prem. Yeah, in the Premier League. Do you know what I mean? I know. I, I mean, even you talk about Jordan Cooper before. He only played two games, but at the same time, he's had a really good career across Championship, League One, League Two. Um, I think he just left Grimsby, is he? I think. Yeah, I think I think he has just left Grimsby. Yeah, that was that was his last club. Yeah, because he'd. Uh, I think where did he go? He went to Charlton, went somewhere else, and then Luton? ended up at Grimsby, didn't he? Was it Luton? Luton. Luton or Warsaw or both Luton Warsaw I think he was a boy he's had a few clubs that's what I'm saying like no one had even people wouldn't realise that he started at Sunderland in that group of boys looking, yeah. looking at him you know what I mean but what a player Cookie was yeah he was I, I'm not going to compare him to him because of different levels of power but Cookie was our Firmino the yeah. way he played he dropped into a false nine role and, and then you'd have Waggy running off him you'd have Nathan running off him do you know what I mean? And it was just ridiculous. Like Cookie's technical ability holding the ball up and, and bringing people into play was was different level. Talking about the, the Hartlepool team that you went to as well, I mean, people maybe listening might think Hartlepool Conference, but they weren't. They weren't at the time. They were League One and a, a solid League One team as well. You had Richie Humphreys, James Brown, who obviously I think got an injury, but was a great striker at the time. And Stephen right. Haslam, obviously experienced, been at England sort of youth teams alongside Wes Brown and that. Alan Power, obviously a big name that's still playing at the minute. Um, but for you, not just playing alongside those kind of players, because they are good players with good experience and good young players as well. But how much did playing regular football at League One level help you progress as a player? Massively. I remember my first season, I played left-back. Um, and I'm, I'm obviously not a left-back, but we had um, Sam Collins and Gary Liddell had formed a, a formidable yeah. partnership at centre-half. So you, you get in where you can. And we had a tough season. We just avoided relegation. I think we stayed up last last game of the season. Uh, we drew 0-0 with Brentford and that point kept, kept us in League One. But that was a massive... Looking back that year, it was a massive learning curve. Uh, Chris Turner and, and Colin West were, were the manager and assistant. Um, we, had a, we had a good team. We had, we had a really good team, but we just, we just like, you know, one of them seasons where you might lose five or six in a row, where you're losing 1-0, 1-0, and you're like, we couldn't put our finger on it. And then Mick Wadsworth came in the next season. He signed a left-back, Evan Horwood, and I was sat on the bench. And I'm 22 in the last year, my contract at Harlequin, thinking, what is going on here? Like, <clears throat> I knew I wasn't a left-back, so I understood why he signed a left-back, um, yeah. but that couldn't get in at centre-half. But Tony Sweeney, our midfielder was he was 
scoring 15, 16 goals a season for us from midfield. So, And obviously Gary Liddell was playing great at centre-half, who was usually a midfielder. So um, we play, I remember, I'll never forget, we, uh, I, I didn't kick a ball to October, end of October, and we played Plymouth away. Um, and Sweens had pulled his hamstring in, in, in training. And we went down there, done a fitness test in Plymouth, and then uh, Wadsworth pushed um, Liddell into centre midfield and put me centre half with Sam Collins. We beat Plymouth away 1 0, and Bradley Ray, uh, Bradley Ray Phillips was playing. Yeah. And we, I had a tough game against them, but we, we'd done well. Me and Sam defended really well. Obviously, Plymouth at the time wasn't the Plymouth. Now I've like Craig Noon, Wright Phillips, Carl Fletcher, some good players, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they were getting chances after chances. and we done well and then obviously we had Peter Brunek the weekend after who were flying high at the top of the league were Aaron McLean and Craig McHale Smith up front who got 30 odd goals between them the season before so maybe he's more and we beat them 2-0 um, same team I scored um, and then that was it I took off from there I think we kept five clean sheets in the first seven games or something and we, we ended up finishing ninth or 10th mm-hmm. or something like that in the, in the league and then that was it I signed a four year at Hartlepool that season uh, that end of that season, that season now, I broke in at centre half. I signed a new four-year deal there, then we went from there. I think uh, my favourite thing that I read about your time with Hartlepool, you probably heard this a million times, was but there was a game where you won two-one, and the goals were scored by yourself and James Poole. Meaning Hartlepool's yeah. goal scorers that day were Hartlepool. Strange yeah. question, but did it ever dawn in the dressing room that that might actually happen one day? No, I didn't. No one even spoke of it, and you know the. I didn't even realise what a big thing was after the game. The the photographers are running on the pitch getting a photo of me and Pooley. Um and I'm thinking, what is this? But because Pooley scored first, it didn't click. Aye. So he scored the first goal and then Notts County equalised and I scored the other goal. Um so and then obviously it took off Hartley and Pool have scored for Hartley Pool. So that's obviously a nice touch, which is my hometown club as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was crazy. Because that was a big thing. I think someone asked me the other day online, they asked, they said, oh, he's a Sunderland lad. And to my knowledge, I was. I knew you were from Hartlepool, but to my knowledge, you, yeah, you were, you were Sunderland. But you actually, you grew up a Hartlepool fan, didn't you? Not a Sunderland fan. A Hartlepool fan through and through, mate. Yeah, my, uh, my, uncle, my uncle used to take me from being the Idle Pools games. I remember I used, to, I used to literally get the first 10, 15 minutes of a game, then I'd fall asleep on his lap. So I was that <laughs> young. But uh, when I got older and older and I was playing for Sunderland under 15, 16, 17s, We'd play our games on a Sunday, so I go to Hartlepool games on a Saturday. Then I'd obviously play my games on a Sunday. I used to have a season ticket for years. Follow them when when they got the playoff uh, League One playoff final um, against Chef Wed. You know, I followed them everywhere. Really, then I ended up playing for them. It's crazy. So does that make it really hard? Because obviously, I think looking back and in, in hindsight, all these things do build you as an individual, especially as a player. But I think you had four seasons, four or five seasons of Hartlepool and the last one ended in sort of relegation from League One, which obviously they've gone down a bit further since then and things haven't really progressed for Hartlepool. But what's it like being relegated for like your hometown club? What, what does that do for you as an individual? Well, I was captain as well. Yeah, so, didn't want to mention it, so sorry. <laughs> I, it, was, it was tough. I was going through a tough time, I'm not going to lie, because um, there was, because I was a Hartlepool fan, I think I was trying too hard on the pitch instead of just letting things come to me naturally. Yeah. And it's happened to well, it happened with a lot of your friends who've been in the Sunderland youth system and got a chance and tried too hard and then that's it. You fall by a wayside. But um that's one thing you can do in football is, is over try. Sometimes you've got to let a game come to you type of thing. 
Um, but it was it was a tough season getting given the captaincy so young in the middle of the season um, off Neil Cooper. So it wasn't like I was captain. He just came in, decided to take a captaincy off Sam and give it to me. And Sam was great with me. Sam Collins was fantastic. He just said, you know, if you need any advice or a shoulder to lean on, you know where I am type of thing. But I was only 23 at the time. So, and then we got relegated. So it was tough, tough pill to swallow because I'm from the town. I go shopping in the town. I get me food shopping in the town. I'm always out and about. I've got a lot of friends who are Hartlepool fans. So I couldn't escape what was happening. It was gradually building up January, February, March. And we could see we were dropping and dropping. And I couldn't escape people putting added pressure on me from the outside, being my friends who actually didn't realise they were doing it. They were just, all they were talking about was football to me and what's going on, what's happening. And then I was going to work and then there was that pressure of work of how we're going to get out of this, this funk, this mess. So I had no release. It was just, I was constantly thinking about football and I felt like it was my responsibility personally because I'm a fan, I'm captain and it's my, it's my football club. I, I've been following these since day dot, do you know what I mean? And it just, it, it happened. We got relegated and it was, it was dis- I remember the summer, it was disgusting and I sat down with my missus and I was like, I need, I need to get out of this town. I need to go because if I, um, if I stay here, it's going to be a slippery slope. All this is just going to, it's going to melt me brain type of thing. So I needed a fresh start. I needed to take the, the emotional connection out of things and concentrate on my football first and foremost. And that's when I made the decision to go to Stevenage. Talking about um, so that discussion you've just had there, and I think it's something that's probably more well known now, especially with players coming out and the uh, the ability to kind of post things on social media. But do you think it still goes unnoticed? I suppose the kind of mental toll that football can take on an individual, like from a mental health perspective, like expectations not matching reality for you as an individual and, and also for the fans and how they view you and the fact that the Northeast is so full of fans that are just, you see it with Sunderland, you see certain players, you see them in the street and you don't know that person. But if they played Triton on the Saturday, you kind of feel like, oh, you were rubbish, you ruined my day. But then yeah. you, you sometimes do forget, and I think I'm guilty of it, we're all guilty of it, that that's an individual human being that's probably had the same upbringing as you, was just a bit better at playing with a football. But do you think it's underappreciated by the media, the fans, your teammates, the club itself, how much mental strength sometimes you've got to have in football? Oh, God, without a doubt. Like, when you when you play, no one goes out on a Saturday with the intentions of playing or not playing great or having the worst game of their life. Yeah. <clears throat> it should be it should be the last thing that crosses your mind. It should never even enter your mind. But you're not going to win every game. But see, when you lose a game, that feeling stays with you until Wednesday. So you play on a Saturday, you have feeling as but see when you win a game and you leave that dressing room, that feeling's gone. So the losing a game, the feel the, the high is not. Um, the high you get off winning lasts minutes, the low lasts days. And then people from the outside, fans or on the street, adding to that low you're already in, because you'll probably have your own personal standards that you haven't lived up to on a Saturday, which is the two hours a week that actually matters. You are literally defined by them two hours a week on a Saturday. Um, them adding to that, that, that negativity of I don't know like you said for example coming up to you saying things or you you were you were shite or whatever that adding to how your mental aspect already is if it can it can make you it can kill your confidence massively you've got to be mentally strong um it happened to me Harley Hartlepool massively uh, I go shopping people are like what what was going on Saturday like uh 
blah, whatever. And I'm thinking, well, you can't give them the right answer because they're a fan and they're from the outside looking in. So they probably wouldn't understand the right answer. Mm -hmm. um, but then you've got to acknowledge them because you can't win in the situation. You tell them to go where to go, then they're going to go and tell a million people, oh, he's a prick or whatever. Do you know what I mean? But then you answer his question basically and cut him short like, oh, I don't know, mate. He'll be like, oh, well, he doesn't care. So you can't win. You can't win. You've just got to keep your mouth shut, get your head down, work hard. That's the only answer. Win, lose, or draw. You just try and work as hard as you can in training. And that's how you build your confidence. That's where your confidence comes from under Friday and your teammates. That's why your yeah. team's so important. Plus, say you win on a Saturday and you're back in, you're bubbly on a Monday, you're ready to go, you're firing. See, when you lose on a Saturday, something I've learned, especially having captain clubs in my pastures, that's the most important role you play as a captain that Monday morning, that Tuesday, getting people back into this. I don't know, a player might have had a bad game. He might have given a penalty away to cost us the game. Making sure he's back on track, he's firing, he's smiling, he's bubbly in training. You've got to get them people back because the longer that feeling lingers on till Wednesday, Thursday, they've just got over this Thursday feeling. feeling now they've only got two days to prepare for a game Saturday where if they can shake this feeling off on a Monday, by the time it gets to Friday, they'll forgot about last Saturday, the buzzing, confidence is high. What hap what's happened, happened. You can't affect what's happened. Let's, let's look forward. So that was a responsibility I definitely learned the longer my career went on and helping my teammates, you know, when, when you can just spot little things in characters when people are a little bit like treading on water, mm -hmm. not, you know, just not going 100% in training because the mind's still elsewhere and what's already happened. And I picked that up quite quickly as a youngster, honestly, got given the Hartlepool captaincy way too young. Didn't have a clue what the captain, captain's role really was. But um, as, you, as I've got older and developed and played all over the country, as you've said, um, you know, you pick things up and I picked a lot up and I don't regret any club I've played for because I've learned a hell of a lot. But if I stayed at Hartlepool, I wouldn't have learned half the amount of what I've learned playing under and with some of the great players I played with. Yeah. Obviously, as it was, you went to, to Stevenage from there and then onwards towards Plymouth as well. Um, but one thing that intrigued me, and you might be able to shed a bit more light on this, uh, you went to Blackpool, but then instantly went to Motherwell on loan. How did that happen? Was that always the plan or was did something happen in the background? Because we all know Blackpool was mental at that point. Um, so the, the summer before I signed for Blackpool, I had um, I had a couple of options. Um, I had Lincoln, um, Portville, <clears throat> Motherwell, Blackpool, and um, I just had a, a son. Um, literally May the first that that year. That's the main reason I left Bristol Rovers, and I had this decision to make because Bristol was five hours away, and I needed to be home. Yeah. So then we, me and my missus, sat down. And I was like, right, well, listen, this is the closest to home. Let's go to Blackpool. Um, she, she had geographical reasons. It was I could commute, I could get home and back, um, and help with a little man. So I signed for Blackpool, and I knew very quickly it was probably the wrong decision because they'd come off the back of a successful League Two playoff campaign and got promoted. And then Gary Boy is stuck with the players that had done well. So um, I wasn't really getting minutes. And I'd come off the back of a six-month injury at Bristol where I was chomping at the bit to play football again. Aye. And I just sat down and I thought, I can't sit on the bench for a season because that's a season and a half missed. I was like, I need to play football. So I rang, I rang my pal up, um, up at Motherwell, Carl McHugh, who's Motherwell captain. And I just said, Carl, do me a favour. you pull Robbo and ask him if, if they still need a centre-half? So... 
car was suspended on it this was on a Saturday I was driving back from a Blackpool game and I didn't even make the bench so I was just my head had gone um, so he rang Rob, uh, Robbo he spoke to Robbo and, and Robbo had said yeah well Ben Hennigan's leaving um, he's going to Sheffield United so there's going to be a slot so uh, Robbo obviously made contact with Blackpool and within a week I'd sign for Motherwell on loan but I would being totally honest and it's easier saying this now but I would have probably went to Motherwell that summer yeah it wasn't the closest it was the second closest to home if it was only Lincoln if it was Lincoln, Portville or Motherwell I'd have gone to Motherwell yeah but geographically Blackpool was the reason I made the decision geographically with Motherwell I think it would be fair to say you know moving to Motherwell moving to Scotland probably one of the best decisions you've made would you agree with that? yeah without a doubt um, style of football is phenomenal the club is absolutely amazing like what a football club from, from walking in from the first minute knowing the, uh, within a week and you I've become very close to the players in the dressing room and we, we hadn't achieved anything yet but you could just see it was some bubbling you know the standard of training the, the the personalities of players everyone wanted to do more than what was required no one was taking shortcuts everyone was living their life the right way um, we had a good mentality we had a we, most importantly we had a striker who got us 20 we knew was going to get us 20 goals a season so all we needed to do was have a good structure behind him um, and then we took off from there. You know, we, we all become close friends along along the way, and we still keep in contact now. Um, that Motherwell team literally dispersed within six months because we'd done so well two cup finals. Our men striker Louis Malt went to Preston. We lost Kipper at Wigan. Um, Andy Rose went to Vancouver Whitecaps. So we we literally we lost players as the journey um, as the journey progressed. But that's a good thing about Robo. Up there and and, last, and and Martin Foyle and Alan Burrows, the recruitment at that football club, I've never witnessed anything like this. It is absolutely phenomenal. Like the players they bring in for the budget they have, to what they get out of these players is different levels to anywhere I've ever seen. They just the structure behind it basically is um, the training methods are fantastic. It's it's making you grow and learn as a player every day. You're not you're not training for the sake of training, doing five-a-sides, boxes, no, 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 none of that. You're preparing and you're learning um, a team ethos and a way of playing. And it's literally your, your brain's firing every day. You're not just turning up for training and training, getting a dab on, getting yourself off. You're actually learning things every day and they're making players better by the day, by the minute. And the youngsters up there, like, there's players who haven't even played this season who could have more than contributed to us finishing third, but, the gaffer just knows, he has a knack of knowing the right times to put them in. For example, Jake Hasty, David Turnbull. Could have put David Turnbull in a season before he did, yeah. but he just knew I need to hold this guy back because when I do put him in, it's going to be a short lifespan for the club because he's so good, you know what I mean? Hasty, same thing. Send him out on loan, get a bit of physicality, bring him back and he ended up getting him to Rangers within six months. They've got players that are more than capable of doing that next year. Yeah. They're really, obviously, it's a really good youth system that's coming through. And I was speaking to speaking to Deck about the same sort of thing and the players that are coming through, Campbell, Turnbull, just obviously the, the main two. But looking at the manager himself, Robinson, um, I think Deck said, he said, he said, I know people will laugh, which I don't think anyone did. He says, but I think he's the best manager in the, in the Scottish Premiership at the moment. How highly do you rate him? Yeah, without a doubt. He's, I can't believe he's still more the world. The attention to detail that this guy and his coaching staff, not just the gaffer. The gaffer is obviously calls the shots. He's the main man. 
and he literally works harder than anyone at the football club. But you got you got your Hinchies, your Moore Rosses, your Bolsies, um, your Lasleys. All it's all a team, and the gaffer makes sure it's a team. Um, but the the attention to detail in the team meetings, the attention to detail in the training sessions. Every session has a purpose. It's not for the sake of a session. You know, if we're playing Kilmarnock. Um, on Saturday, we'll have a low block defensively. We will create a session what to break down their block. Um, we have pressing sessions from throw-ins um, in and out of um, possession. Honestly, from I'd say probably off the back of the two playoff, uh, off the back of the two cup finals, that January after that, um, from that January, so a year and a half, the things I've learned in football at Motherwell under Stephen Robinson, Moore Ross, Keith Lasley, I've... I've not learned in the last eight years. I've learned more in a year and a half than I have in eight. It, 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 it makes me jealous because I look at your Alan Campbells, um, I look at your David Turnbulls, your young boys, your Dean Corneliuses, David Devines. Obviously, these are young boys coming through, but they don't realise the opportunity they have with, with, with that level of coaching staff because I've pissed away probably five or six years where I've trained for the sake of training for a game on a Saturday and then the game's all that matters at certain clubs I've been at where this is it's progression you're progressing as a player as a person every single day and the result yes it is the be all and end all but the principles we're trying to install will eventually be successful regardless of whether we win lose or draw this Saturday and you've seen how quick the players have picked up at Motherwell um, what they're trying to install at that football club to where they are now finishing third that should have took two or three years not not yeah. a year. Like I think we signed eleven new players last summer and, and got rid of eight or nine last summer. And I'm thinking, this is crazy. Like how where are we gonna go from here? Like and then we end up finishing third. So that goes to show one, the recruitment, two, you can do you can put the fundamentals into place and any player with the right character could slot straight into the fundamentals if they've got the right character and and straight off. So it's it's the structure that works at the club. Not the players. The players obviously contribute. You've got a David Turnbull, you're going to get 20 goals. But yeah. the actual structure that the club is building, you could pluck players, put them in, put them in, and we'll just keep rising and rising. Talking about uh, team spirit. Sorry, well. man, I don't show up here. Just put him whenever you want. No, mate, I, I, that, that's my, my job is to keep my mouth shut. Trust me. Um, I just have to kind of stoke the fires and hope that you, you're talkative, which is perfect. One big thing, Talking about team spirit, um, I've had a few of the lads on the show. Obviously, I've, I've Tony Watt, who has not yet been released, but great guy. Um, obviously, Dexter, great guy, and I've had Lasley on as well. And the one thing that's quite funny is you've all got stories about each other. And that's, I mean, yeah, it's good to tell tales on a show like this, but at the same time, it shows like a really good team spirit. But there seems to be a great set of lads at Motherwell, loads of great crack. What's the kind of funniest moment for you of what's ever happened in the Motherwell dressing room? That you can tell um, us. I tell you what, I've got, I've got one. So, <laughs> so when we were on the the cup final run, <clears throat> um, we used to get shirts put in the dressing room to sign. Yeah. So obviously, the boys sign these shirts, sign the shirts, and and someone someone kept signing the shirts and balls. Pele ten, Pele ten. So some player kept signing these shirts and balls. Pele ten. And obviously, this is before the first cup final, so we're, we're, we're finding people for the Christmas kitty because we were going to Dublin for the Christmas do. So, um, boys had obviously pointed a few people out to the fines committee. Could be him, could be him. Could, we narrowed it down to two. 
I think it was Bowman, Brian Bowman and uh, Alex Fisher. So we decided to have a court case. Oh God, I wish it got videoed. So um, Fish came in. There was two, it was a two-day court case. So we're all ready on the morning. Just got our normal gear on, getting our training kit on. Fish walks in with a suit on, briefcase, <laughs> ready for court. <laughs> so, so we do a two-day court case and we find out after the second day, Fish, Alex Fisher was pleading his innocence completely like, Nothing to do with him. He had Elliot Free as his solicitor. Like, we were proper legit. We had the panel. We had everything. Um, and then second day, Fisher's just opened his suit. He, he come in second day with a complete different suit on, different tie, everything, briefcase, a lot. He had everything written out. Anyway, he's opened his, his shirt, suit shirt up, and it just said, I am Pele 10. So obviously, it was brilliant. <laughs> Honestly, what would be next? It was phenomenal. But uh, that, that's just... That just brought everyone, well, we were all already close anyway, but the, the banter, and then obviously when Declan Gallagher came and he doesn't shut up. So yeah, he, uh, he'd come in from day one, he was fearless, he didn't care who he was talking to, but in a good way, he's a great guy. Um, and he just lifted. We needed someone like that at the time because we'd lost a lot of big characters. And obviously, Deck had come in and, and slotted straight into to, to the, to his spot and, and hit the ground running, so to speak. But Deck, Deck was funny and he just brought the group together. He, he was, he's, I think he'll be captain next season, Dex. He's, uh, he's yeah. a great lad. <clears throat> and he's got that natural leadership quality. What I, I think, first and foremost, you need to be a captain. And I think it's fair to say he knows how to face adversity without going too in-depth. I think that's been kind of proven, hasn't it? Yeah, well, look, I think he got released by Celtic. So he, he's he's took kicks in the teeth and obviously had to brewery build his career again. And now he's a Scotland international. So he's... You, you know, you had, them caps don't get given out for free. You've no. got to earn them. And uh, it's no coincidence. I truly believe if Deck was still at Livingston last season, he wouldn't have played for Scotland. It was no coincidence. He's come to Motherwell and and obviously the the, the coaching staff have got, have got their hands on him. And he, he's a great player, player anyway, but making him understand what he's doing, the reasons behind what he's doing. And his career's taken off and I hope yeah. it keeps going for him because he's a great guy. Talking about uh, sort of Motherwell and stuff like that, there was a, I asked for a few questions um, from Motherwell fans, and there was a few decent ones. And I, but I've got two that were belters. So the first ones, you're going to have some partnerships, uh, well, friendships on the line here, possibly. But somebody's asked um, if you had to choose one: Aldred, Kipre, or Gallagher. And it's not well, like as, it's, as a what uh, as a what a defender on the ball and potentially. Like, there's three answers to that question. So as an out-and-out defender, Tom Aldred all day long. Yeah. He literally die and let the ball go in the net. Phenomenal. But on the ball, Decky all day long. He could he could chop a striker like a striker should be chopping him. Like Decky's ridiculously good on the ball. But then potential, Cedric, he come and he was raw from Leicester. A young French boy, didn't really speak much, kept himself to himself. You put him on the park and he was a big animal. And you could yeah. see he had the potential to play at the very top. So... The answer to the question is a lot more complex than the actual question. I can't just say, oh, Decky, because Tom's a better defender than Decky. I can't just say Tom, because defense, being a defender as a whole has a lot more strings to its ball than just defending, in, especially in, in this modern game. Maybe we got the wrong end of the stick and the lad actually meant shag, marry or avoid. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, okay. <laughs> you can answer that one then. <laughs> there was another question that came in as well, and I've got to be careful how I ask this. Now, I'll openly admit, obviously everyone knows I'm a Sunderland fan, but I have a big, 
a big love for Rangers, and I'm not going to deny that. There's no point in me denying it. But particular week when you managed to wind up the entirety of the Rangers fan base when you talked about a certain man breaking his nose. Um, so I don't want to touch on that because we all know what happened and we all know things after. But you obviously would have got shit all that week. And I know that because I would class myself as part of the Rangers fan base and I've lived in Glasgow, so I know what Celtic or Rangers upset one of them, you've had it, at least for the week um, or for your lifetime. But then as it was, you managed to score a last-minute equaliser in a 3-3 draw. How mental was that week? That week was insane. Um, do you know when you just you say something without thinking about what you say? Yeah. Or the way it came across in the wrong way. And from a personal point of view, but that happened and it happened. That was it. So um, obviously we've we've got a play Rangers on the Saturday, and, and I speak to a manager. And manager's like, you just got a man up, deal with it. Do do like do what you need to do. Just deal with it. Take take the hits along the way. So that's what I've done. And obviously I've never prepared so much for a game of football before me. Right? <laughs> got booed every time I touched the ball. Got called worse than anything. But. Um, to then pop up and score the last minute equaliser. And what a game, by the way. Like we went one nil up there, went two one up, we made it two all there, went three two. It was like it was crazy. And then um and then scoring the equaliser, it was an amazing feeling. But uh it was just just what I'd said, you know, obviously I took it back straight away and and, and apologised because I didn't I'm not that guy. I've no, yeah. no I don't want anyone to get hurt, you know what I mean? It's a competitive sport, but the score of the equaliser was pretty sweet. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Great feeling. Was After that, all the stick I've been getting given for the last week, it was it was brilliant. Was that Great kind of feeling. how you was that kind of how you dreamt it the night beforehand? Then I ju- I just dreamt to be totally honest with you, mate. I just dreamt getting through the game alive because <laughs> I didn't know how what was going to happen. I'd obviously experienced played against Rangers in the semi final at, at Hamden and yeah. beat them two. When I seen how passionate the fans were then, so I was like. Now, if this is going to become a, a personal vendetta against me, I just need to get through this game alive without without doing anything, crumbling to give a goal away or whatever. Full concentration on your job in hand, and that was it. I just went into a went into a tunnel and and tried to block everything out and just concentrate on everything I needed to do to do my job to its best best ability for ninety minutes. And I ended up getting getting a goal along the way. <laughs> So my final question is probably um, centred around your time at Motherwell, but it's ever so slightly different. But I think a lot of the time, the Scottish Premiership, or the SPL as I will call it, but there's tons of really good strikers in that league. And I think it's kind of underrated sometimes. Sometimes people see Scotland as like, when you're in England anyway. And I, there's been some great strikers that come through. And you look at Lewis Moore, it was a big one, but you've played against some genuine, in my opinion, some world-class strikers in the likes of Jermaine Defoe. You've got Morelos up there. You've got, um, obviously, Edward as well. But which one do you think's the best and why? Edward. Or the hardest? Edward? Edward. He's the... He's probably the best striker the Scottish Premier League seen since Henry Glass, and I would say, being yeah. totally honest, because he is different levels. He's got every attribute you can. As a as a centre-half, sometimes you're, you've got to play cat and mouse with the centre-forward. See, Morales, for example, if you get too tight to him, he's going to spin you all the time. He's really good at using his body. So you've mm-hmm. got to play cat and mouse, keep my arms length. Do that with Edouard, he'll, he'll literally turn on a sixpence, slip it through your legs and put it in the top corner. You get too tight with him, he'll spin you because he's quicker than he's, and he's six foot two. I couldn't believe he was only 20, 21. I, I literally couldn't believe it because yeah. he's... Uh, He's he's a he's a real real he's gonna go to a top top level. He's fantastic, like really hard to play against. Makes you look 
like you, you, you don't deserve to be on the same pitch. You can do everything in your power and it's still not good enough. Did you ever come up against JD? Uh, yeah, I did, yeah. Um, at Ibrox, um, I think we got beat 2-1 this season. Yeah. We won 1-0 up. He scored an equaliser right on half-time. Uh, I think Devante Cole scored our goal. Yeah, uh, Good, but a different type of striker. Uh, with Jermaine Defoe, he's obviously played England, he's played in the Premier League, scored hundreds and hundreds of goals. But... He's, he's a small type of striker where obviously he doesn't want the ball in the air. He's, yeah. So you've got us literally be on your toes with him in the round the box. He doesn't really come alive outside the box. Edward, everywhere, any any blade of grass, don't give him an inch. And if you give him an inch, he's, he's smarting up, 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 up here to, to make his own space. It's Honestly, it's scary to play against. But you meant before was quality, great experience. But when it, so suppose on the flip side then I, I know what you mean about Edward because he's tall, he's fast, he's strong, he, he's silky, yeah. he's really good with stuff like that. And but I mean, he's sometimes you get a striker who ticks all boxes but doesn't know where the goal is. He's got every <laughs> single. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he's superb. Um, and I think you know, I think that that's kind of why I wanted to touch on it. I think there's a lot of good players in that league that are kind of underrated. But talking about Morelos, right? Totally different player, and you're right with what you said. If you get too tight, you can spin you. But one thing that's always intrigued me with Morelos is, you know, I quite like the way he plays. He's a bit of a throwback. But what's he like when you play against him? Is it kind of like a throwback? Does he give you the kind of nips and the elbows and the? Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah, he's very physical. Yeah, um, he's he does. But you can get he, he's one of them as well. He's because he's he's a he's young. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. The mental aspect of you can you can take his mind off the game quite easily by getting into him before he gets into you. Um, for example, uh, the semi-final, uh, we played Rangers. Um, I think it was within the first 15 minutes. I lifted him and then he comes straight after me and lifted me on the halfway line. And, and the, I knew then, as soon as he got me back, I knew he, all he cared about was kicking me in the game. So um, you can play the game with him. Like Edward just doesn't, just like he's just got a different aura about him. Morelos is going to be a top striker, 100 yeah. million percent, already is, to be honest. Yeah. But I think Edwards, Edward just pinches it for me, from a per, my personal opinion. Just with having played against them both, being embarrassed off them both, because they're both really good players, obviously way beyond my level. But um, Edward, in my opinion, is, is, uh, is definitely the better of the two. Peter, thank you very much, mate. Good chat. Oh, man. Banging, Cheers, eh? Pal. It's all right. I know, I Hope you enjoyed it. Man.